Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Um, you're going to have to forgive me for these next few minutes because I had um, some relatively minor eye surgery on Thursday morning, and these lights uh, kill me, so I'm going to look cool for the next <laughs> hour. Uh, the, uh, I hope that's okay. Like I, 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 I can feel the celebrity pastor memes starting to happen, but, uh, and I don't want you to think just the left side of me is emotional and the right side is fine because this side will just, wa- the lights just cause my eye to water, which makes my nose run and nobody wants to see that. So sunglasses. I, I had this procedure that, um, it was done Thursday morning. I should have had it done a few years ago. I started noticing a couple of years ago that I was having some vision problems, especially in my left eye. And I told myself, hey, at some point, I'll do something about that. At some point, I'll get that taken care of. And I'm sure there'll be some kind of surgery, you know, LASIK or, or, or contacts or glasses, something that will make the, my vision better. And so I didn't do anything about it for a while, just kind of minim- minimized it. But it kept getting worse. And so finally, I went in to do something about it. And when I went in, they said, well, we can do this certain kind of surgery, but it won't make it better. It'll just stabilize it. And I realized how, how much I would have benefited if I would have two years ago when I first started noticing a problem gone to get some help because it would have stabilized it from that point rather than this point. And, and I think that is a fairly decent illustration of what we're talking about in this series when your way isn't working. It's an invitation for us to align ourselves with God's word. It's an opportunity for us to acknowledge our way isn't working to get some help to humble ourselves and say we need to do things differently. But a lot of us minimize, a lot of us procrastinate, a lot of us plan on doing it eventually, but what we don't know is what we've lost in the meantime. And so what I want us to do in this series is to be honest. Be honest with ourselves about some ways that our way isn't working and how do we align ourselves with God's word. In John 15, Jesus talks to his closest followers and he says to them, and this is the anchor verse for this series and one of our foundation passages as a church, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can't do anything. And he's challenging his followers to stay connected to him no matter what, stay connected. You be the branch, I'll be the vine. What's interesting in context is it's positioned between two chapters where Jesus promises that in this world you'll have trouble. That's how he starts this conversation in John 14, verse one, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then it's how he ends it in John 16, 33, in this world you will have much trouble. And that word trouble is an interesting word because it's, um, it's an emotional word. It's a personal word. Like there are other words he could have used that meant annoying or frustrating. This word is more than that. It's, it's a painful Word. In fact, if you do a little word study on trouble in the Gospel of John, you see it's the same word that gets connected to the funeral of Lazarus, and just the grief of that. It's the same word that gets connected to Judas betraying Jesus and the pain of that kind of betrayal. And Jesus says, in this world, you'll have that kind of grief. And in this world, you're gonna have that kind of betrayal. In this world, you will have trouble. Things won't always work out your way. They won't 
work the way that you want them to. So what do we do? Well, we believe in God. We stay connected to Jesus. We stay connected to one another. And so I, I want us to be challenged in that over these next few minutes. And, and this morning I've asked uh, former senior pastor Dave Stone to be here to help us with this conversation. And one of the reasons I wanted to invite him out to, to do this with me is because he has modeled for me what this looks like in a very personal way, the way he has navigated life when his way isn't working or when he experiences the trouble of this world, the way he and Beth have done that have, has encouraged me a lot. So this is gonna be a little bit different. Um, a little bit of a hybrid. Yeah, he tried to sneak in here, but would, would, thank you. <laughs> Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Goose. <laughs> the good thing is I even understand the Goose reference, so I feel okay. really relevant. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I appreciate that. And it's not too soon. You're fine. I don't feel like... It's the problem making fun of the guy who just had eye surgery. I, I, did, I did feel bad for some people who laughed because they, they thought this was a bit, yeah. you know, yeah. that we were going to do. And I'm like, oh, no, it's actually. If you saw him with his sunglasses off, uh, we're out here about 730 this morning. He said, what do you think? I said, well, you look like a skeptical bear that just woke up. So you made the right choice. That's the look I was going for. Uh, actually... I was thinking of you this past week because you've had a number of eye surgeries, but this last year, you actually had, I believe, a detached <clears throat> retina, yeah. which sounds painful. Yeah, it was. And it I, was. so I called, I called him. <laughs> I called him when I heard about this, thinking there's got to be some good story behind this, some kind of, uh, you know, sports injury, some kind of parachuting out of a plane or mountain biking. But well, I was... I was uh, on my way to Cincinnati, Ohio. It's like some kind of ultra marathon? It's 110 miles. That's... I was driving. You're driving. Uh, yeah, oh, that's right. So it was not that's real right. strenuous. And as I was driving there, I just felt my right eye slowly over, over that course of that drive where I couldn't see out of it very well and uh, ended up having emergency surgery the next morning. And uh, praise the Lord, I had a good recovery and we'll yep. all be praying that you have a Thank good you. recovery. Thank you, I appreciate that. I, I know that you know, we can all tell stories of trouble you know, that we have in this life. And I, I hate to start off our conversation by just saying, hey, tell us about all your troubles. But, but the truth is, like since 2018, you've had your share of things that haven't gone your way. You've had your share of, of troubles. Do you mind sharing just a little? You, you have already some with our church family, but do you mind sharing a little of that with us? Yeah, if you go back um, uh, about a year before I, I left Southeast, uh, I'd come back from Israel. We'd had an unbelievable trip with a, a, a large group here from church. And when I got back, I, I came down about a week later with something. I didn't know what it was. Turns out I had pneumonia. And then on top of that, I thought I would be getting better. And uh, so... I told you, hey, I'll be ready to preach. You know, you don't need to worry. I'll be back in, in the saddle. And sure enough, uh, that's when I found out I had mono. In addition, at the same time as pneumonia. And, uh, and then I got the flu. And I just kept, uh, ended up being eight weeks. And mm -hmm. it's tough, tough to convey it. You understand this from, from last year, but you're, you're dying to be back. You feel like 
your flock needs to hear from you. You don't want to look like a slacker. You, you want to pastor your people and, and be back preaching. And so I have this tug of war going with the Lord every single week, thinking I'm going to be okay next week. And so I'm begging and pleading for my health. And basically what I was saying to God was, uh, my, my people need to hear from me. And what God was saying to me was, no, you need to hear from me. Mm. And um, so it was a very strange time in my life, but I think God did that in order to slow me down so that I would listen uh, to him. We, we've shared together about how in this season, we've experienced that, this sense that God is making us slow down it reminds me of Psalm 23 where David says in his Psalm, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's not he invites me to or he asks me if I feel like it. Now he makes me do it. And there are certain seasons where we're forced to lie down. In other words, we're forced into this position of recognizing how dependent we really are on God's, on God's strength. And that is like, um, that's the gift that nobody hmm. wants. Yeah. But unless... Unless you're in that position, it's hard to discover it otherwise. Last week, I, I talked about uh, the four emotions that tend to surface when our way isn't working, when we need to align our lives or some area of our lives with God differently. And, and there are a lot of different biblical examples of this, but I talked about um, discouragement and frustration, uh, anger and fatigue, where you just feel worn out. Did you experience some of those during that season? Yeah, I, I, it was a great sermon last week. And as you were saying them, I'm basically checking them off because I felt like I experienced all four of those. At the top of the list for me were anxiety and, and, and the fatigue piece. Um, after I left Southeast, the very next week, I began an interim ministry out of state at a church that uh, was going through a real time of, of confusion, of chaos, of conflict. And so I go from this extremely healthy congregation to each week not knowing what was going on in the news, what, what was taking place in that particular uh, volatile situation. And uh, it, was, it was a night and day change for me, but that's where, where God wanted me to be, and I know that's where I was supposed to be. But I think that took a toll on me over time. Uh, additionally, my, my dad, uh, his dementia was increasing rapidly and uh, to see your dad some of you all understand what that's like to see a parent kind of slipping away before your eyes was was difficult around the same time uh, some of my adult children were going through some uh, really difficult circumstances and seasons of life and uh, many of you have gone through that as well um, we moved my dad into a memory wing uh, in, in some ways, as strange as this will sound, uh, in some ways that was actually tougher on me than his death because you, you know you're going to be saying goodbye whether he's still alive in that shell for another five or ten years, but it's just that process. And um, through that time, I just, uh, the culmination was in my my father passing away a couple of months after that. And through that time, I, I started pulling away from people. 
And I didn't realize that. And you all know me, you know I'm a people person that energizes me. I love to be around people. But uh, Beth started noticing and realizing that uh, I was pulling back from people and just kind of staying to myself. And so she kept saying, I think you need to get checked out. I think there's some things going on here that go beyond just uh, uh, what, what it is you've been facing. And, and I did and uh, was diagnosed with depression, uh, something that I never thought would have ever happened, uh, that I would, felt I would never experience. And, uh, and yet it was in that time and, and through all that took place through that particular season uh, that I, I really had to wrestle with my faith and, and try to realize whether or not, you know, God wanted me to continue to minister, uh, if he wanted to continue to use me. I had a counselor at that time say to me, uh, depression will either lead you toward addiction or isolation if, if you let it. And I thought, well, obviously I'm moving toward isolation. And um, you might think that's the better of the two, but neither one of them are good ones. And uh, what I, I learned was that that was Satan's ploy with me was to try to isolate me and get me to pull back from people. And, and yet God wired each and every one of us for connection. I, I love how when you were going through that, Beth, you know, we, you use the word encourage. And that's the word I would use with my wife too. Like they encourage us. But, but when we say mm-hmm. encourage... We mean, we mean encourage, but we also mean challenge, right? Like yeah. having her say, hey, here's what I see. I know for me, having my wife say, hey, you, you've just not been yourself. Like, I know this isn't who you are, who you wanna be. Ha- having that help makes all the difference. It's that balance of, of truth and love yeah. and encouragement when I needed it, but also a kick in the pants of, hey, you haven't, you haven't gotten out and had lunch with anybody yeah. recently. You haven't done this or that. And so there was this part of her that was, was pushing me. And uh, I do think the connection is the key. Uh, I, I just want to point out that, that those things, just because all of a sudden I say, okay, I'm going to turn to the Lord on this. I can't handle this in the flesh. I'm going to rely on the spirit. I just want to make certain you understand it, doesn't, it didn't happen overnight. Mm. It, was, it became a long process for me. And it was a process that was painful. And it was uh, sometimes two steps forward and one step back. But uh, it was a process where I had, had to learn that you know I'm, I'm going to have to depend upon the Lord. And it's a slow process. So what I started doing was I, I dug into God's word. And I wasn't planning on doing a word study. But I started, I started going through the Psalms. I knew David had been through a whole bunch of junk in his life. And so I thought, you know, I can learn from how he handled it. And so I started reading through the Psalms and I just started seeing one word pop out at me and it was the word refuge. I just saw that time and time again, David would say, he, he, he is my rock, he is my refuge, he is my fortress. And so I, I just started underlining the word refuge every time I would come across it. And uh, so that's, I would look forward to reading my Bible each day to see whether or not the word refuge was gonna pop up. It pops up, I think, like 43 times in, 
in the book of Psalms. And over time, what happened was uh, I, I began to run to my refuge. Yeah. And uh, Psalm, I'm just read a couple of verses that meant a lot to me during that time. Psalm 9:9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Uh, Psalm 91, verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and whom I trust. And I, I drew closer to him and saw him as my refuge, my safe place. And uh, you've heard me talk about the redwoods of, of California. You used to minister in California. Did yeah. you see those sometimes? Yeah, yeah, and we or, went up, drove through the trees. And, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. 200, 300 feet high, these, these redwood trees, sequoias. And uh, a lot of interesting facts about them. They grow about 10 feet a year and, uh, in height. But it's interesting. You would think they would have a very deep root system. But these tall trees, instead, they have a shallow root system because their roots go outward rather than, than downward. Someone said that the, the giant redwoods are literally holding one another up. Hmm. But there's one, one fascinating fact that I learned just a couple months ago. And that is that somehow... The way God made the redwoods is that if a tree nearby them is going through a difficult time or is sick, the other trees around it will send their nutrients in the direction of the tree that's hurting and they will put their own growth on hold so that they can come to the rescue and help the other one out. Mm, good. And it's a perfect picture of the church sure, of yeah. what we're to be and of what we're to do. Yeah, that is, that's the right picture. I, what strikes me as I listen to you talk is sometimes when connection is what we need the most, it's what we feel like doing the least. Mm. When we are discouraged or feeling worn out, we don't feel like putting in the effort to connect deeply. We don't, um, we don't always want to be around other people, and yet it's, it's that connection to connecting to Jesus as the vine, connecting to the branches. That takes uh, margin. It takes intentionality. It means creating space, having the right rhythms. And when we got our wives together a number of years ago, the four of us were talking, and they, they stumbled onto the fact that Dave and I tell them the same thing when we find ourselves... Um, without much margin. We will, I'll let you finish this. We'll both say it's a... Busy season. It's a busy season. It's a busy season. And when you're always saying it's a busy season, then it's a busy life, right? Like at some point, something starts to give. When it's always a busy season, you start to discover that your way isn't working. It creates, it, it requires, connecting requires you to create space to, to prioritize that. And I know over the past few years, um, God has slowed both of us down, mm. reprioritized our connection to him. I'm wondering what are the new rhythms that you've learned that you've stuck with that have helped you stay connected? Yeah. And, and when our wives get together, they do start comparing notes and it usually isn't that good for you and me has been my experience. Uh, Beth always threatens and says, I'm going to put on your tombstone. It was just a busy season, you know, <laughs> and, uh, which is also a passive aggressive way of saying that I'm going to die before she does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I love your word rhythms because that's, that's at the heart of this. And if we don't establish new rhythms, then you know, we are destined to continue to relive what, what we were in before and uh, our way is not working in, in those moments. And so I've tried to remain attached to the vine 
Uh, I've, I've tried to deepen in my quiet time. Um, we've got some rhythms going now that we're in empty nest of, uh, we found a good rhythm of I preach three out of five weekends and the other two weekends we're gonna be here at Southeast. Yeah. Because we, we need we need to be involved in church. Mm-hmm. We need to be involved in this church. We love this church. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, um, I asked... I asked you backstage, I said, hey, is, is Beth here this morning? And you said she was serving in children's ministry. Yeah. yeah. yeah Sometimes she doesn't go with me to speak because she loves the children's ministry more than my preaching. <laughs> so, uh, but those, those rhythms that, that you establish are so important, whether it's a, a Sabbath day off, whether it's uh, getting in God's word, I'm gonna, whether it's exercise, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the table on you uh, because... This church prayed for you through your sabbatical and you've alluded to the fact of some of the rhythms. Uh, so walking out of, out of that and coming back, right back into yeah. a full schedule, what are some of the rhythms that you carry with you that you learned from, uh, from that season? Uh, you know, I would have to say that having some time away reminded me of the priority of giving God your mornings. Like, if you will begin your day by connecting intentionally to the vine, it has a way of setting a tone of connectedness for the rest of the day. And I know you might say, well, I'm not really a morning person or that's not really the way I'm wired. And I just think for all of us, even if it's only 10, 15 minutes in the morning, if you'll begin your day by connecting to God, it is a great place to start. And it's something that Jesus modeled. I think of Mark chapter one, where Jesus wakes up early in the morning, he goes off to a quiet place and prays. He spends time with his father. And if you read on in that story, the entire village comes to the home where Jesus had been staying. They're all looking for him. They all have expectations of him. They say, where's he at? And, and when Jesus comes back, he says, actually, I'm not gonna stay here. I'm gonna go to the next town. That's what God's called me to do. And he's able to deal with like, the pressure um, of expectations from all those people by beginning his day connecting to his heavenly father. And I think, man, if he needs to do that, how much more do we need to do that? And so, so for me, that, that rhythm of waking up in the morning, no matter what time I'm scheduled to wake up, I'm just gonna set that alarm 15 minutes earlier and having that time to establish a connection that will keep me connected. Because there's so many things that will try to distract us. Like this, as a guy in his 40s, it feels like I shouldn't need as an example, it feels like I shouldn't need um, to have on my phone um, screen time limitations. Like, it feels like I should be, like, should I really need that for my phone to kick off after being on YouTube for 15 minutes? Yeah, I, I do, because it'll just pull me in. There's so many distractions. And so by beginning the day saying, here's my priority, here's who I'm connecting to, it just, it sets the right pace for the rest of the day. Uh, one of the things that um, really helped me is when you were navigating through a season of discouragement, you connected in a different way to a men's group here in church. And, you know, we encourage all of you to do that. And we're both, we've both been in groups like that, but, but the way you connected to them helped me because it gave me permission to connect more vulnerably as a pastor. Like, I know we all get this to some degree, but... When, when you are a, Dr. Townsend calls it a source person, when you're a person that people go to for help, it's hard to go to 
someone for help. Hmm. The, more, the more likely you are for people to go to you for help, the less likely you are to have someone that you go to for help. So this is a, this is a thing. And watching you navigate that and set an example for me, set an example for other young leaders as well. But when you, hmm. when you were part of that men's group, was that hard? What was that experience like? It was, it was very much out of my comfort zone. No question. Um, and I, I really didn't want to do it. Um, you know, I, I saw God as my refuge and the Holy Spirit as my comforter, but I, I learned that I need people as my encouragement to come alongside of me. And so uh, I was asked to be in this Bible study by a group of men that I have great respect for. I'd been in leadership circles with here within the church for a number of years. And I wanted to say to them, you know, uh, Thanks so much, I'll pray about it. And then I was just gonna politely say no. But uh, I kept hearing that counselor in my mind saying uh, that depression will lead you toward isolation or addiction. And so I thought, you know, what if I do what doesn't feel natural and I actually put myself in a group as opposed to isolating myself? And uh, here's the kicker. I don't, I, I, I know I told you this yesterday for the first time, but the day of my diagnosis of depression was the day that these men called me. And they had been talking about it for two weeks as a group on whether or not to invite me, which makes me feel like a loser that it took them two weeks to say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but just the fact, I had to keep telling myself with the timing of this being exactly the same day when, when no one knows this. Um, and so I said, yes. I told Beth, I said, I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna say anything um, about what I'm going through. I'm just gonna go and lay low for a few weeks. Well, I went and uh, in the middle of the time together, they say, so Dave, what, what's going on in, in, in your life? Uh, tell us what's going on. I know it'll surprise you, but I cried. <laughs> And I just started walking through my journey with them. And uh, they kept looking the whole time I'm talking. These eight or nine guys keep looking at two guys within the group as I'm talking about what I'm going through in my depression. And they keep looking at these two guys. And, you know, after, after I shared my entire heart with them, as we're leaving that day, those two guys came walking up to me. And uh, they said, we've been where you are. Hmm. And they said, everybody's looking at us because we've gone through this. And one of them said, you will get better. And then the other one put his hands on my shoulders. And he said, these guys will walk through this valley with you, hmm. beside you, just like they did with us. And uh, I learned the power that comes when you share with others. I'm sorry, I had eye surgery recently. Um, uh, but I, I, learned, I learned the value of connecting. And when I, I want to say this, so when I walked out of that room, I felt 10 pounds lighter. Yeah. Because I had other guys that were right there yeah. carrying my bird. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it is our prayer that that's what would happen within our church family. Um, if you've not experienced that kind of dynamic, um, it, it takes courage and it takes humility, but I mean, it's what God designed us to, to have. Galatians 6.2 comes to mind where, where Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. It, from my experience, I don't mind sharing a struggle or sharing a weakness with somebody who I think can help me, somebody who I think might be able to fix the situation. But it's hard just to share that with someone if you don't think they're gonna be able to do anything about it. And yet what we see modeled for us in the early church, what many of us have experienced within a community like this, is just the process of sharing a burden allows us to um, not carry it alone. It's other people bearing it. It's what Dave described as feeling 10 pounds lighter. And, and so you don't think by sharing it anything will happen, but something happens because this is the way that God has made us. Um, talk to us, Dave, a little bit um, biblically about just the importance of this kind of connection, being connected in community this way. And you remember back in 2006 when you and I and... Uh, our leadership team, we came up with that phrase, connecting people to Jesus and one another. And uh, we were in all those meetings for months on, on that and just how important that word connection was because it, it, it unites us together. Uh, that's what I love about your book. I started reading your book and uh, I'm about four chapters into it. And every chapter I read, before I go to the next one, I'm like, well, I wish I would have had this a few years ago. I think it would have, I think it would have been a great resource for me on some of the different things that, that I experienced and faced. But I knew you were gonna ask me this question about being connected in community because you said, I, I wanna tee you up for this. So this is what I wrote down. You can be involved without being in community, but you can't be in community without being involved. And by, by that, I mean, you can be involved, you can come to church, you can check that box. Oh, I went to church, I'm, I'm, I'm involved at Southeast whatever campus it is that you worship at. But it, it's gotta go deeper than that. You can't be in community with, without being involved. It takes a commitment to be in community. And so you're investing in one another. And that goes totally against what the world tries to tell us. The world says, you're a self-made man, you're a self-made woman. And they want all the attention to go back to just you. And we live in this culture that just feeds our egos to where it all comes to self-promotion rather than, than honoring others above ourself. Did you know there was a, a word that appeared in the dictionary for the very first time in 2013? So 10 years ago was the very first time that this word was ever used in the dictionary. And now it's a word that is so pervasive, we say it constantly. And the, the word is selfie. Selfie was not a word until over 10, 10 years ago. And now I, I understand why, for obvious reasons. You know, I mean, when, when we would take a picture, when I would take a picture, uh, you know, you'd get a little roll of 20. Snap that uh, smoke would go up and <laughs> like, uh, well, I've watched Little House on the Prairie. I, <laughs> I know. Thank you, Charles, I appreciate it. Uh, no, it's not, it wasn't that archaic yet, okay? And it wasn't a sketch artist with a rock and chisel either, okay? I'll <laughs> say it before you think it. Uh, 
But we'd have 24 pictures and you would take them to a place and in three to five days you would get them back and you couldn't wait to get your pictures and about 12 of the 24 would turn out. And, uh, and that was, that was our, our plight back then, right? But now we just say, hey, let's take a selfie and you know, everybody takes their selfie. Uh, they, they call it a selfie because narcissist is too tough to spell. Um, <laughs> but we're in this world that wants us to put all the attention on ourselves. And what the world is saying is look inward where God's word is saying, look outward and look upward. Hmm. Um, how does scripture, like, so that makes sense when we, when we hear it and things are going okay. But when, when things are difficult, we don't often feel like doing those things feels like we weren't made to do it that way, but scripture teaches us something different. Scripture would teach that we were made for community. Yeah, and uh, you go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, uh, verse 26, you all know it. God said, let us make man in our own image. And it's very intentional. He doesn't say, let me make man in my own image. He says, let us. So this is a trinity. The God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all right there at creation. And it took a community to complete the image of God being inside of us. And at the core of every believer, every person, our identity is a togetherness. We have this need for community and for connection. And we have this relational DNA that, that God set us up with. And at Genesis, at, at this point in creation, after everything that God made, he said the same thing. It is good. It is good. Each day. It is good. And then all of a sudden, he creates man, and he says, it is not good. Now, women, don't get excited about that, all right? You know, I see you elbowing, okay? Let me say the rest of it. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he wants Adam to have some community. He wants him to have some relation, to, to be with someone, and we're wired for community. So Adam wasn't complete at this particular stage. So what happens? He now creates Eve, and guess what God says? He doesn't say it was good. He says it was very good. Hmm. It's very good. And I don't want you to miss this. This is so important for us to get. When he, when he, he says this is very good, this, this is not a marital statement as much as it is a relational statement. He made us so that we need one another. And so we look at this and we say, marriage won't be perfect, but you know what? It can be very good. It can be very good. And so early on, God is trying to stress in the very first book of the Bible how important community is. One of the dynamics that I've experienced personally, I one of the things that we've talked about as pastors that we've seen is that, that community is deepened or connection is deepened through uh, vulnerability, right? Like there is this direct correlation between the depth of a relationship and your willingness to be vulnerable. Um, how have you seen that dynamic play out that where vulnerability leads to deeper connections and truer community? You know, the first thing that pops in my mind is a Bible study group that we used to have years ago on Wednesday nights. We had a bunch of singles. We had a bunch of young married couples. We had a gal who'd been in the Bible study for about six weeks. 
And we didn't know her real well. So glad she was there. She was sweet as can be. She drove a BMW and everybody, whenever she would pull up, was like, I love that car. I love that car. So she was a BMW gal, everybody thought. So um, we didn't know much about her, but one night I was teaching on unconditional love. And I just threw out a question. I said, so share with me an example of sometime when somebody showed you unconditional love. Well, there was crickets. They didn't say anything. So you know how we're taught to do. We kind of reword the question. We come in from another angle. Nothing, all right? So now I'm begging people, you know, come on, some, somebody's showing you love. Somebody, yeah, you know. So finally, from the back, this girl speaks up and she hasn't said a word before. And she said, well, she said a couple years ago, she said, I was downtown and a couple parked their car near me and they were walking into a restaurant and I passed them and I said hi and they said hi back to me. And a couple of hours later when, when they came out from the restaurant, they were looking for me and I could tell that they were looking for me. And they found me and they came up to me and they had brought me food from the restaurant. She said, I was... Uh, I was living under I-65, under an overpass. She said, I've been there for over a week. She said, they gave me food. They came back the next day. They asked if I would like to move in and live in their house. They took me in. They fed me. They gave me a place to stay. They helped me find a job. Months later, they sold me their BMW for dirt cheap. And she said, that Christian couple took me in when, when no one else would. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, would that count as unconditional love? <laughs> I said, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like a light switch was thrown on in our group. And from that point on, people began to open up. And why did they do that? It's, it's because... Uh, they, she pulled the veil back and she was vulnerable and she was transparent and she gave us a peek into her life. Yeah, I, I love that story because it, it paints a picture of what I think is captured for us in the book of Acts hmm. when we read about the early church. Yeah, let me, let me just share a couple of different verses because it's all throughout the book of Acts. But Acts 1, 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer Acts 2, they were all together in one place. Uh, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and it literally means, when it says they devoted themselves, it literally means that they attached themselves. That's, that's what they did. They attached themselves to the apostles' doctrine, which was scripture, is another way for saying scripture. And then let me close by just reading 44 through 47. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hmm. I love that. I, I, I pray that that's what we would experience mm. as a church. Like I know it's easy for us to settle for um, a religious tradition, but we pray that we would experience this kind of community where we are deeply attached 
deeply connected. We are deeply attached to the word of God, that it's the foundation of who we are and everything we say and do. We live in a world right now where people, as the book of James talks about, are blown and tossed by the mm. wind. They have no foundation. They, they're not attached to anything. And so the, every new thing that comes out or every new thing that happens just blows and tosses, blows and tosses. And, and as a church, we wanna be attached to scripture. We wanna be attached to Jesus. We want him to be the one true vine that we put our hope in. And then we wanna be attached to one another. It's not, I'm the vine, you're the branch. It's, I'm the vine, you're the branches that we connect to Jesus by connecting to others who are connected to Jesus. And more than we realize, it's, it's what we need. So in a minute or two, we're gonna take communion together. And as we take communion, um, my prayer is that we would experience a little bit of what Acts chapter two describes. We would experience a community that is deeply connected to Jesus, deeply connected to God's word, and deeply connected um, to one another. Would you pray for us? I'd love to. Father in heaven, your, your word, all throughout it, I think some 60 times, talks about one another. And you're, you're just trying to drill home into our hearts how we need one another. And Lord, living in, in 2023 in these chaotic times, uh, we need you now more than ever, and we need one another more than ever. We need the nutrients that other Christians can share with us when we're going through a tough time. And so, Lord, we, we look to the cross and we see a man who lived a perfect life, who was, was human but was divine. He was tempted in every point just as we are and yet was without sin. And on that cross, he became a perfect sacrifice for our sins and he stayed there when he could have come down. We're thankful for Jesus on the cross, but we... We're also thankful for the Jesus of the empty tomb and for the hope that we have that's found in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we celebrate this, this feast at your table, may we be reminded of our need for you, that connection with you, and that connection with others that we so desperately need as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.